Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, Blade Disgusting's horror video game podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bowen. And as it's the beginning of the month, it's time for another edition of Horror Bites, the segment in which Neil and I each highlight four bite-sized indie titles that can generally be completed in less than an hour. And while some of these titles may be free, we believe it's important to support the developer's hard work, so if you can, please support them through their Itch.io, Steam, or Patreon pages. Neil, once again, we're here to chat about a bevy of uh, bite-sized titles, and I think, you know, we uh, we humbly pride ourselves on finding a good mix. You know, yeah. we kind of find this different spectrums of horror where it's kind of like cheeky horror, and then there's some that, you know, may, uh, might have a tendency to sometimes over-rely on staples of horror that uh, we've all kind of known to love over a period of time and whatnot, but... I find that each month we seem to find something that either taps into our own personal interests, but at the same time, we kind of are willing to take a shot on things that might be outside of our comfort zones. And, you know, I don't think this month is uh, is any difference. No, there's um, some high quality in terms of like technical achievement. There's some just generally interesting ideas, you know, and fully realized stuff and like great little experiments that, you know, aren't quite finished, but are getting there. And yeah, so obviously we're starting to see a pattern with some stuff now because we've covered so many. So you you go, oh, here's a game where you're doing a maze thing. Here's a visual novel thing like that. But seeing these little iterations on what we've seen so far is where we're starting to see like, oh, so yeah, you can see how this is now interesting from a different angle to what we've had before. So yeah, and yeah, a bit of humor, a bit of absurdism all in there this this time once again yeah and your first pick for the month i mean that kind of taps into a uh, a, a fear of ours in a way that you know mm. introduces it with mechanics that are familiar but you know you and i maybe and i'll be interested to hear kind of how it landed for you but just a game that taps into kind of like our nightmare fuel if you will in a way that uh that i definitely got a kick out of but i can't wait to uh chat with you about your first pick Yes, which is Shark Phobia by Azaxor, who also recently made a game called Ratman based on the Ratma section from VHS94, mm. which I, I uh, showed Brad, funnily enough, uh, Brad Miska, once I saw it. And then it wasn't until afterwards I realized, oh, funnily enough, it was my son seeing Shark Phobia who turned around to me and says, this looks like that Ratman game. And it was like, <laughs> again my son trumping me to that sort of thing before i tell him uh and yes so it was um so what it is it's a vhs style game um which i think we've posited before is a good cool idea if you could have like a vhs you know the film series in game form and clearly that sort of has that thing in mind because this and that have a little feel of that. Uh, you play a deep sea diver going into this cave system and you get disorientated and you're lost. And then, of course, you find out you're in with a bunch of sharks that are out for blood. And you're basically pack manning your way out there, trying to find your way to wherever freedom is, I suppose. And yeah, it's visually straight away caught me. I was like, oh, this looks interesting. You know, we've seen these sort of uh, 3D horror VHS style titles before, but an underwater one like this where, you know, sharks, you know, and the deep are, you know, big fears of mine. 
and this seemed like oh that'd be a good thing to sort of is yeah i picked this well ahead of time this time i was like oh yeah i'm definitely making sure i've definitely got this one um as a game in the end not it was a bit hit and miss for me you know i found initially the going around and seeing a shark and a little stab of music that tells you it's there is you know suitably panic inducing oh shit better run better well swim but yeah and get out of the way um but the idea is you're supposed to hide in crevices and things when to uh get out of the way so you can try and get to the root or find wherever you've got to get out of and uh, it wasn't always very clear whether you were safe or not i found um one time in particular i seemed to be hidden by seaweed which I, again i didn't know if i was supposed to be or not because the shark was like literally right up in my face, but not doing anything like that. So I stayed still, went to see it. The shark moved off slightly. I kept still until it moved out of the way. And it just turned around and attacked me like 30 seconds later. And I was like, I did nothing to it. <laughs> so it's like, is it is it supposed to do this? Um, but as an, you know, as a concept, you know, you have this idea of claustrophobic spaces Sharks coming from any angle you can and you're having to avoid them. And yeah, like I said, that has a lot of um, fruit and energy in it, you know, to to start things off. But it just kind of loses steam pretty quick, you know, as an idea. And, you know, the last thing you want in a chase-based game is to start you know, shrugging your shoulders and going, ah, there we go, got caught again. Um, all the same, looks... And sounds really good. Um, nice concept. Just could have done with being a bit deeper, maybe. How about you? How do you find it? This being such a you know super specific fear of mine, just like being <laughs> not only like the idea of being deep sea diving or cave diving and then getting lost or disoriented, let alone being chased by sharks that want to you know eat your guts, uh, is like a very a, like a primal fear of mine that's near and dear to my heart. But um, yeah, you know, as it being built upon this sort of like Maze Runner style experience, which we've kind of become familiar with at this point, I appreciate that, right? It's kind of like a different flavor of something that we've experienced in the past before. I will say, like, I was surprised by the level of inact- interactivity, I think, yeah. with this. You know what I mean? Like, it almost carries itself almost like. Um, now, of course, I'm blanking on the name of it. What is that survival game where you are in like the ocean and you have like a spaceship oh, uh, crashing? Um, Subnautica. That's it. Sorry, um, so, so in Subnautica. But out of my head as well. <laughs> <laughs> but like in Subnautica where you are, you know, finding health kits and these things and you can go into your inventory and use them. Like doesn't sound like it's very deep and it's not that deep. But for one of these, you know, small bite-sized experiences, there was a level of interactivity that mm. I was – a little taken aback by just the fact that the dev went that much deeper into like, okay, I'm going to give them an inventory and there's items in there that can help them. And it's like, just because you get caught doesn't mean it's the end of the yeah, I like uh, that experience. But, you know, I guess when it actually comes time to put those mechanics into play, like on paper, they sound great. That's where some of the issues that you had mentioned kind of, kind of rear their ugly head or their fins, if you will. Um, in terms of like, I experienced some jank with the AI, right? Where yeah. the shark shouldn't be able to see you, but then it does all of a sudden, or it kind of glides past you, 
and it only attacks you once it like goes right out of your peripheral vision and attacks you from behind yeah. really quickly. Uh, it also wasn't clear to me like the crevices or the seaweed, which one was supposed to. Like I kind of had this 50-50 odds with whether or not I was going to actually be safe, which, you know, it's a little bit of AI jank or design jank, which hmm. at the end of the day for it being such a short experience, I'm not like too bent out of shape about, but it was something where it, as you had said, it gets to the point where it's like, okay, I've gotten caught now six times. And I would say three of them were my error and three of them were the jank. And it was like, yeah, once you start to get into that rhythm, you kind of start to get a little frustrated and whatnot. But yeah, you know, I think that the VHS green aesthetic, which we're pretty you know used to at this point, again, it kind of captures that found footage feel, which I think is interesting in this flavor of uh you know a maze runner if you will which you know when it's tied to deep sea terror i can't not be appreciative of it even if you know i may be burnt out on it a little quicker than i would have liked yeah i think um the big thing for me was just personal expectations set it as being well you know it's a vhs style horror game um they're usually quite story-led and not in for repetition that often so I was kind of expecting something along that line, and it wasn't really that. So that that left me a bit crestfallen on it. But, you know, obviously I had time to think about it after that and just sort of settle in on the idea of what it actually is. And even then, it's like, okay, well, it doesn't quite achieve all it sets out to. But, you know, overall, decent package. Could be better, but kind of ticks most of the boxes it's going for. And this one was available on Itch.io, right? Yep, it was. Did you end up finishing it? Because I'll admit, I did not finish it. I spent about <laughs> 20 minutes and got too frustrated and then just moved on to the next thing. Well, yeah. we, had, we cover a lot for Horror Bites, so I wanted to uh, move on to the yeah, next Yeah, I thing. mean, generally I give a rule that um, you know, I'll give a game a half an hour if it's not moving on you know, in any meaningful way. And luckily, I sort of just about breached that point but um i was making just enough progress to get there so i got through that but yes that that was then a big part of why it started getting me down a bit because as i said it became repetition frustration it's like and that just dulls the the thrill of the chase you know it doesn't make Mm. it feel like it should um but yeah all the same good enough also would recommend checking out Ratman game as well. If you do like VHS ninety four, it's not exactly the same thing, you know, as that segment in the film, but you know, it is a sewer and a very Ratman looking Ratman. So definitely worth a go. I almost picked that for this month. Yeah, too. same. Then <laughs> <laughs> I thought, nah, well, you know, but yeah, it's a yeah, definitely a, a good backup option if you will. So um, your first pick for the month. Yeah, so my first pick was FTD or Fixin' to Die, which is available on Itch.io, and it's by developer C Dads and Powerhoof. Um, It takes about 15, 20 minutes, give or take, to uh, run through it. And I would say it's best described as, you know, overcooked, crossed with mash, with kind of like a healthy dash of that adult swim style humor that uh, we're so fond of, right? So you basically are a battlefield surgeon who's got two beds. And a stream of patients that are coming in. Each of the patients has a percentage over their head and, you know, 
as the closer the percentage gets to zero, which would mean that the patient will die. And it very much captures that kind of like fast paced nature of something like overcooked, but instead of, you know, serving dishes, you are saving patients. Um, and it captures that intensity very well. And it has a good ab- amount of, you know, just dark humor in it, which, mm. you know, comes from some of the things that the surgeon is saying when he's operating on people where, you know, let alone the fact that the game is called, you know, fixing, <laughs> fixing to die. <laughs> but, you know, when he's in the process of doing his surgeries or, you know, cauterizing wounds and things, uh, he complains at one point, like, oh, there's blood in my mouth or, oh, it's like soup in here when he's like digging through <laughs> these soldiers that, you know, are coming from the battlefield and whatnot. But I was also impressed by the fact that they were able to take that overcooked kind of gameplay style or methodology and apply it to this in a way where it's not just, okay, there's two patient, there's two beds and four patients, right? And I have to kind of like decide which patient or I have to categorize basically which patient's about to die, which needs more attention yeah. before getting to the other ones. But there are a couple of layers of deeper mechanics actually, which, you know, not only feed the difficulty of the game the farther into it you get, which I think it's four stages total. And each stage, you know, it's still two beds, but you have a certain number of patients and the patient increase every single stage, if you will. Yeah. Um, but the two different gameplay mechanics that get introduced the further that you go, one of them is hygiene. So the more that you're operating on your patients, your hygiene level will go down basically or I suppose actually it'll go up and you have to reduce it. So that yeah. way you can operate on people faster because it'll slow you down. So periodically you have to go from operating or moving a patient to a bed to go wash your hands or something like that, which furthermore, you know, increases the intensity and whatnot of it. Um, and f- also there are going to be situations where you get a patient that is beyond saving, right? Yeah. At a cer- certain point, like when they're dabbling around 25%, 30% health, essentially you're going to keep failing to, you know, resuscitate them or help them. So there's an option where there's this machine in the corner, which is essentially a grinder and you basically (laughs) pick up their body before they're dead and you throw it into the grinder and you get a blood pack, which then you can use the blood pack on another patient, which increases their likelihood of surviving. And then of course the rate of success at which you can actually heal them. Um, So this was, a game that I thought did a really good job of, you know, for this kind of arcadey sensibilities, like having a good layer of strategy to it that fits the theme and the tone while mm. having, you know, this great amount of uh, of dark humor into it. it basically, every facet of the game. But uh, how did you get on with uh, Fixin' to Die? Yeah, this was uh, a fun one. Uh, my son was very much into this as well, you know, just because of the score attack nature of it, you know, he saw me flubbing and failing at a level and decided he had to try it and do it better of course he did it um but yeah i like that it's this sort of over the top take on something that's quite serious but you know doing it in that absurd way that's you know crass but in the most respectful way i suppose you put Mm. it i mean it's at its core it's dealing with the idea of the repetition of bloodshed and violence and how it affects the mind, you know, when you're becoming dull to the idea that you could feasibly go, yeah, well, all right, we will sacrifice this guy and put him in a meat <laughs> grinder so that we can save someone else. And yeah, it, it's little things like that, you know, juxtaposed with the idea of just, oh, you know, washing your hands to make yourself 
less <laughs> when it's in a place that I don't see anyone mopping the place. Any right. there, so <laughs> but yeah, it, it's funny little touches like that, whether intentional or not, that just make it the perfect amount of absurd. Yeah, and the fact that it just sounds sounds gloriously icky you know it, it, the sound effects are top notch in terms of how squelchy and rippy and fleshy they sound and it's like, mm-hmm. like i mean i didn't have uh headphones in as well so it was just very loud noises and all this going yeah. on it's like in, a, in the middle of the day so it it was uh, alarming to anyone passing by and hearing <laughs> but, but yeah i i must say and i think the uh, gameplay loop is actually genuinely a good challenge you know it as you said it takes that overcooked idea of just stacking new little bits each time you know new little quirks in in the system like you said adding this hygiene and all that and the idea you know as you know, as patients are standing waiting to be you know put on the gurneys that you know the chances of survival are going down all the time so that you're constantly stacking up problems and having to sort of think on the fly as like, is this person person worth saving here on forty seven percent, or do I just bin them now to make sure I can save the next <laughs> one? Which again just sounds crazy, but it, it does come to that point where you are just like, well, if I get rid of this one now, I can offset the damage that's been caused by that one being stood there for this long. It's, I mean, it's doable. You can fix the, the required amount of patience each time if if you get lucky i think yeah percentages vary so you know it's not always possible but it is possible at least once it seems Uh, yeah so a nice unpleasant in many ways but the right ways deals with the subject matter in a very tongue-in-cheek fashion yeah good good choice this one yeah, and it's definitely one of those picks that you could see flourishing into a full-fledged game, right? Yeah. You know, sometimes we get to the end of these bite-sized experiences and it's like, yeah, that was the experience that was specifically meant for that length of time, right? And we can't always see it like being a full-fledged or even, you know, a two-hour experience or a three-hour experience. But with something like this, you could see them, you know, not only expanding the patient pool or the tent or the types of mechanics like that yeah. um, to, you know, facilitate another four stages or, you know, upwards of 20 or 50, that type of thing. So, yeah, that gameplay loop was quite impressive, I found, for, again, the 25, 30 minutes I spent with the uh, with the experience. But uh, let's get into uh, your next pick for the month. Uh, my next pick was another Maisie game, uh, Door 9. Um what I liked to look at, you know, when I saw this was a very barren, very sparse looking visual style of it. I thought, okay, this, you know, it's um, basically you, you wake up in a concrete maze that is, you know, as they say in the description, it's inspired by architectural brutalism, which, you know, I love the look of anyway. So it was straight away the best thing I could see about this game. Um. The, the thing of that means that you have these sort of huge towering you know, concrete pillars that just, you know, too high to be looking over or seeing anything over and then having these little chasms in between. Again, this goes back to the Maze Runner thing, you know, it's like it's very much that sort of thing. 
Um, all the while, it's switching between two states, like a light and a dark state, and then there's something chasing you in the dark state. Um, so again, this was something that, as a game, it's hit and miss you know, about how it works. You know, does well to sort of signpost when whatever it is that's coming for you is coming for you. When it's dark, it's fucking hard to see a damn thing. And, you know, which I get, that's the point, but it's a little too much at times because of the looming nature of it. I just think it looked really nice, you know, for what it was. It's very simple, very stark, brutalist style was just something I wanted to look around more and more. And it felt haunting in a way that the dark really didn't do for me. When it was daylight sort of environment, I just was taken aback by how well it sort of betrayed what it was doing. So just to sort of you know, caveat this, uh, we do, this was a, you know, a game jamming thing. So it obviously was made in a short period of time. Uh, so certain limitations, fair enough. I get it. That, that makes total sense. But yeah, it, it could really do with a, a bit more signposting here and there. But again, I, given the nature of what it is, makes perfect sense that it isn't quite as, fully fledged as it could have been. How did you get on with Door 9? Yeah, you know, once I kind of actually, like, got my head around what I was doing, mm. right? Because, like, it took a couple of lives for me to really understand what I was doing. But like you, initially, I was kind of taken with the Maze Runner meets sort of, like, Eight-Legged Freaks uh, yeah. kind of angle of this game and whatnot. And, you know... I was appreciative of the fact that there was that day-night cycle. And, you know, while the night cycle is much more weight is just way too difficult to navigate, right? Like you had said, uh, it becomes almost like artificially dark where sometimes you'll find yourself just like stuck on a wall moving forwards, but you won't notice for a couple of seconds, which when there's something hunting you uh, is not very helpful. Mm. Uh, but I did like that I had a couple of moments where it was like really intense. I can hear this thing. It's basically like yeah. nipping at my heels. And then just by the skin of my teeth, it goes from night to day. And I turn around and nothing's there. Like I had a couple of moments like that that were genuinely intense. Felt like a chase sequence from, you know, like a monster movie or something that I really enjoyed. And I think, you know, capturing those little moments of genuine tension or fear, you know, that's quite an accomplishment in something that I wasn't necessarily taken with from a gameplay or puzzle solving mechanics, right? Yeah. That element of it, I was kind of hit or miss for me, but the genuine like fear of replicating that sort of chase sequence, um, I really, really enjoyed. And I think it pulled that off better than some of these other, you know, maze runner style games yeah. have like even with uh sharktopia or shark, uh, phobia, right? <laughs> shark phobia <laughs> rather. Um, it was the type of thing where, you know, you see the monster and then you get the notification sound kind of thing. And then you're, tur you know, you turn and run heel. But with this, it was hearing it first and, you know, trying to place where it's coming from. Is it going to be to the left or to the right? And then before you even see it, you have that kind of like, oh, your skin starts to crawl or your hair yeah. stands up on edge. And I think that that's an important approach to, you know, when you're getting chased by a monster, it's about what you hear rather than just what you see, um, which is the type of scares that I like. So from that aspect, like I thought the door nine was probably my preferred to something like shark phobia, even if the puzzle mechanics on their own 
were kind of like whatever for me. Yeah, that's it. I mean, the the thing you're describing there with the sort of jump between dark and light kind of reminds me of uh, the David Sandberg film Lights Out. You know, with that mm. whole thing, mm-hmm. it, it's yep. a cool concept, and when done well, it really works well. And yeah, you do get moments like that where it's just like cool. I mean, one of the first times I played it, it was this, um, you know, when it went dark all of a sudden and you could see something in the distance, you know, the only sort of light looking thing and realizing that it was not something you wanted to be going towards straight away. It was like a very unsettling thing. And yeah, the closer it sort of got, as you said, and the light changing and then it stops again and you just... The discovery of that is always really cool, you know, when you get that early on, you know, oh, okay, so this happens then, that happens. Establishing the rule set in that organic fashion, to me, is always fascinating. But it's, you know, sort of where you go from there to sort of make it take the next step. You know, as a, as a proof of concept sort of idea, which, you know, this is really, you know, um, yeah, I think it, it pretty well establishes what it wants to do. It could be, you know, something greater. Yeah, I would like to see them almost play with that, you know, the brutalist architecture that you were talking about, right? I mean, the first, you know, I would say first ominous bit of exploring door nine is, is that once you're kind of like maneuvering these walls and corridors that all look exactly the same, like the first time you come upon like a skull just in the middle of there and you don't see the rest of the body and you haven't encountered anything that would indicate like, oh, you're actually in danger, um, which I liked. And it would be interesting to see them play more with, you know, environmental scares, maybe if they had yeah. more time or fleshed it out more. Like, that's something that I think would be really, you know, creepy without having the big monster moment be the only kind of scare to rely on. But yeah, you know, this was, uh, this definitely left an impression. Yeah. Like I said, for what it is, does the job pretty damn well. Um, so, Going in a completely different direction in terms of interactivity <laughs> here is a much more simplified thing from your next pick. Yeah, my next pick was Dagon, which is from the developer BitGolem, and it's available on Steam, Itch.io, and uh, Good Old Games. Uh, it takes about 30 minutes, give or take, to complete. And Dagon is a 3D narrative experience that is based on the, as many will know, the HP Lovecraft short story of the same name in which you play this morphine-addicted sailor who is recounting his supernatural introduction, if you will, to uh, the the maddening Cthulhu mythos. Yeah, It is a game that you can play either in VR or without VR. I played it without VR. And, you know, I bring that up because it has a very VR-centric framework, right? In that you're being transported between a number of environments and you don't move around at all. It's kind of, you can spin around in a circle and view the environment, but there's no moving around or interacting with the environment other than, you know, you can find little clues or whatnot that will give you more insight into uh, H.P. Lovecraft, basically, yeah. and his craft. And, you know, the era in which his writing was becoming so prolific and kind of just emphasizing for the player why his writing was so different from what was out at that time period and whatnot and how influential it was um, and whatnot. But, you know, in how restrictive this experience is, it is a narrative experience. It pays off in the sense that the production value I thought was stellar, right? It's got fantastic 
visual graphics. It's got really terrific voice work and a script that, you know, I haven't actually read this uh, short story, but I would not be surprised if this was very close to being, you know, beat for beat in terms of mm. just being a recounting of a lot of lines from that short story and the fact that, you know, it has, it captures, I would think, the ethos of a lot of the H.P. Lovecraft, that it's more about talking about madness and how seeing these things is one thing, but how it basically destroys the human mind, yeah. trying to comprehend what they're seeing. Uh, it does a really, really great job, I think, of capturing that, you know, genuine terror that is not solely relied on showing you, you know, tentacle monsters mm. and whatnot, um, which I was appreciative of because, you know, if it was a developer maybe that was looking to go more in the direction of like more of a visceral kind of jump scary thing, like, yeah. yeah, especially when it has a VR capability or side to it, you could see them wanting to have, you know, tentacles as if they're like flying at the screen and whatnot. But this game opts for capturing the atmosphere and this sort of sense of madness mm. rather than necessarily showing you a lot of, you know, gruesome monsters or gory bits and bobs here and there. Uh, I'm curious, how did you get on with uh, Dagon? I think it's interesting that it comes across very much like an interactive exhibition uh, in game form, which I suppose VR would be very much integral to making that really sort of nail that aspect of it. Um, and you know what you were saying there about you know, what they don't do, you know what they're restrained with, definitely comes from the fact that they care about the source, you know, and about Lovecraft. You know, probably a little too generous to the man in terms of what yeah. trivia tidbits <laughs> they do give, where it does seem sometimes like it's a bit apologetic about what he does. Um, but you know the. There are pains to point out about, you know, he didn't make, he didn't want this whole Cthulhu thing to be this big, you know, like mythology and all this, but he just wanted to tell this, this story and just the idea that he wrote these stories because he hated the seaside and sea creatures was, it's cool. I like that side of it. You know, that's you know, the sort of interesting facts that really accentuate a story that I'd heard before, read before. And you, know, you were saying about the, um, narration which is yeah really good um, pretty much on par with what i heard on an audio version before so yeah that, that's high praise in, in that regard um, i don't think all the visuals match up really with what i would expect you know from descriptions um a couple of bits let it down there but generally they are nice sort of uh compliments to what you're getting in in the verbal form and uh yeah the enriched experience it's a strange hybrid of things and they work surprisingly well i think more sort of story-led horror experiences when we've been talking about um you know these narrative sort of things that, that you know and text-based things and how they can imbibe you with this atmosphere without even trying, you know, and um, how would you can add to that yourself by, we did it with a game that we haven't talked about yet. And uh, one before where, you know, you suggested a uh, ambient music for the background of what we would do these text-based adventures. And instantly that becomes a richer experience for that. And so this feels like the evolution of that, where you have, 
you know, you're having the story being told, you know, and then having images that you can sort of interact with, look around in a little bit. And yeah, just the little informational tidbits. So yeah, it's just walking through an exhibition, getting all this knowledge about, you know, beyond, oh, well, you know, it's a Lovecraft story, blah, 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 this, this, this. It feels like, you know, the, importantly, it feels like someone who's gone, yeah, I actually have read the books and kind of understand about <laughs> Lovecraft rather than, oh, tentacle monsters and cults and that's it and fish people. <laughs> that's, yeah, it goes beyond that, which is nice. And by concentrating on, you know, that short story from the earlier days of that, that makes sense. Yeah, that you sort of are free of the baggage of later things by doing this. So yeah, I found it a, a fascinating idea to uh, that generally pulls it off quite well. And aside being like, yeah, it would be important for the people that are handling the subject matter or the story or, you know, relaying of history to maybe not be as uh, big a fans of the subject as, you know, the devs clearly are of this, you know, to kind of delve a little bit more into and not be as apologetic of yeah. Some of this uh, historical figures, you know, shortcomings or mannerisms or, you know, their uh, beliefs and whatnot. Um, but I was thinking about like an experience like this being applied to other short stories or, mm. you know, works of fiction in these things. And, I, you know, this is kind of like my educator's brain where it was just like this would be such a great way to introduce or make more accessible like reading and things like that. Yeah for students that are not as inclined, you know, to sit down with books and things like that. And it's the type of thing where it's like having to be realistic of the fact that a large portion of kids now, it's like they're using iPads and things like that instead of going to more books and whatnot. Yeah. Whether or not people agree with that or not, like that's the reality of where we're at as a society in these things. And, you know, maybe having those behind whatever the subject matter is, you know, being a little more neutral uh, and in presenting that material, like I see this as being the model almost that could be used as like an educational tool, you know, like think about teaching a lesson on Edgar Allan Poe, whether or not you have the VR component or not, but like putting them in the shoes of the subject of a story yeah. or a poem or something like that. I mean, there's, I don't know, like for somebody that should read, but does not read as much as they should, like the idea of putting you into the story almost mm. just, I don't know. I feel like I would engage with the material in a way that would make it stick in my brain. Granted, I'm more of a visual learner, um, but like just the potential that I see in something like this from such a short experience, yeah. like it's just see a lot of promise in something like that. Um, and, you know, I have not read a great deal of H.P. Lovecraft. I know more about uh, from just like hearing about him as a person uh, more than his actual work, but it was very refreshing to you know, consume this, his work in a way that was unconventional. And I think that this kind of taps into less of maybe the elements that we have seen in games such as, you know, Call of Cthulhu, which kind of takes these little bits and bobs from his story. But then, you know, it kind of focuses on more of the in-your-face type mm. aspects of monsters and creatures like we've mentioned multiple times now. Um, but yeah, this was one that, you know, I was pleasantly surprised by and yeah. I would love to see more, you know, horror-centric stories, whether they be short stories or poetry and just like putting you in those worlds. I think there's a lot of promise there. Yeah, I mean, 
you can tell that you know that Lovecraft had done poetry. You know, it, it, it's because there's a flow to the words in that regard. Uh, it's where you can credit his work the most is that that there's this poet poetic flow to what he's doing, and a conviction in what he's afraid of and using it and embracing it in such a way that he does that it, it does make the experience all the more in, uh, intoxicating if you will when you're having this sort of visual aid and uh, having more information about what's going on um I, I suppose the struggle would be trying to make that work for a longer book or a longer story but you know as as a starter course why not you know the stuff like this works really well absolutely uh but before we move on to your next pick i think we're going to take a quick ad break and we'll be back with more horror bite goodness and we're back from our ad break uh neil what was your next pick for the month well we were just talking about uh text adventures and and referenced you know what we did with that and that is indeed the next game like we planned it, I swear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Cut the Lights uh, is our next pick by Heartsey, um, which is, you know, straight away out the gate, we have to mention that you know, this is an in-progress thing, so it's not finished. So what we've played here is basically a taster for what is going to come. Um, so just to sort of read the blurb for this one is the door to the dressing room swing shut. The quiet snick of a lock sliding into place five minutes until the shoot starts, yet you're still rooted in place, watching the script sitting on the counter flutters open. A reminder that for you, the breeze is never just a breeze. Just like how you feel an overlapping exhale, another presence that matches you breath for breath. You're never alone. So going on from that, you are basically in the shoes of an actor um, who is constantly haunted by ghosts. And the smart thing that this does at the beginning is it asks you to enter your own details, your own uh, social media handle, if you will, so that, um, and you, you know, straight away you think, oh, okay, so how's that going to be implemented? And they, they give you a pretty good show of that straight away by having these sort of news reports about how you've been cast in the latest of this beloved youth, young adult uh, franchise. And <laughs> I think you're supposed to be a child at this point. And so, yeah, you know, it shows like, um, you know, these social media things tagging you in saying you've been cast as this and people saying, yeah, yeah, this is great. And other people doing what they do on the internet and <laughs> shouting at people that don't need to be shouted at about decisions made <laughs> in uh, Hollywood. <laughs> um, but then you get this whole backstory of, um, you know, like, why you had this weird communication with the dead and it's really descriptive in it in a way that um you know we've had text adventures here before and and it's worked out pretty well and they've had their own atmosphere this definitely has something about it that feels very unique i think the thing that struck me most was the way it handles choices you know whereas we've seen before in a general text adventure you'll get choices at the bottom of a page or whatever. Say, do you want to do A or B? Blah, blah, blah. This just neatly just lets you change sentences as you read them. Certain sentences will go up. It's like, 
you because you feel like this and if you click on it you can change it to or like this and it just naturally flows in a way that you know the story continues in its own way and i found that a really smart way of doing things like you know straight away it was like oh that's a good hook to to sort of uh have this where you are not sort of oh right you've got to change the page now because you made a choice sort of thing it's it's a, it, you're just carrying on without ever feeling like did i change anything didn't i change anything does it matter or am i just embracing the character i am supposed to be um obviously there's a lot uh we don't know yet because it's just in progress but um it's already an enticing little mystery i found and it feels grown up, you know, in a way that I <laughs> sounds condescending, I know, but it's just, <laughs> it does. It doesn't feel like your traditional horror experience. You know, it's not out for monsters and blood and gore and scares like that. It's very much more a melancholy ghost story, which, I, you know, I love those kind of stories. I think of um, the book, The Waiting Room by T.M. Wright and uh, think about the film Cure not Cure am I thinking no not Cure the fucking by the same director I forgot the name of the film but I'll remember it another time Um, (laughs) people know what I mean by that I'm sure Um, (laughs) yes Um, but yeah it's just something very sombre and mood enriching about it that you know it really sets the table for what it's you know, serving up and uh, it's mm-hmm. yeah i'm surprised by how much i was into it you know considering it was such i was sort of a bit taken aback when it ended even knowing that yeah. it was only going to be a small segment I was like, oh i could do with more here so you know this is one i'm going to be keeping an eye on i think you know, definitely to uh see how this goes so yeah definitely 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 like this one how about you yeah you know it's always a good sign when something ends and for me i didn't know it was a you know, a, an introduction to this. I thought it was an ex- full-fledged experience, but you know, as soon as it was over, I was just like, I was taken aback because I was like, wait, no, I just need more. I need more, <laughs> which is always a good sign, no matter what type of uh, you know bite-sized experience that we're having. But yeah, you know, for many of the, I'm going to piggyback on a lot of your points. Like, it was refreshing to have a narrative adventure that was not solely based on you know, you taking actions that were dictating, you know, what different avenues your character goes down in the traditional sense, right? I think back to the zombie narrative adventure that uh, you picked, I believe it was last month, where it was more based on like, well, if you do this action, somebody lives. If you do that action, somebody dies type of thing, like those kind of black and white stakes. Whereas with something like this, it's more, like you had said, a melancholic ghost story. And it's more about how your character is perceived and how they're going to be represented and how you're sort of crafting your own identity rather than a narrative almost, which I like. I like the idea that like the, and it's probably why, like you said, like it feels like a more mature approach to storytelling because the author has a story that they want to tell. And it's less about how the player is going to like dictate what occurs next. It's more about like, the individual in this scenario, um, which I, I liked. And, you know, some of the decision-making stuff, again, it seems slight, but yeah. at the end of the day, it's more about establishing, like, who your character is in this space rather than, 
Uh, like I'm thinking about the example of you're talking to one of your friends or I think he's your agent. And then you're like, oh, well, he's commenting on like going to pick up women at a bar or something. And it's like, do you roll your eyes at him? Do you flick him off? Like these little things that are not going to have a massive drastic change on the course of the narrative, but it further establishes the relationship and like the character that the player is in the shoes of in a way that, you know, it's more about just signifying who they are as a person rather than like, well, I'm going to blow up his spot and not let him date this woman or something (laughs) like that. You know, it's not this sort of as drastic of a impact on what is occurring, which I like because, you know, the author clearly has a story that they want to tell. And it's less about giving the player that sort of instant gratification. And I'm making a decision. This is fundamentally rewriting a section of this predetermined sort of narrative roller coaster, if you will. Um, The other aspect that I really liked was, is that it jumps between, you know, a more traditional narrative writing style. And then it has those little moments where like it basically is replicating a Twitter feed at one point where you're seeing like people's reaction to something that you just read about on the previous uh, slide or section. Um, And I think that that's a facet of modernized interactive storytelling that was really interesting. And we haven't really seen that yet um, in the sort of narrative text-based adventures that we've done. Um, and that's a facet of storytelling that I find really interesting, you know, you, that yeah. you can simulate a larger world and a world that's being a re- or a world that's reacting to this narrative in a way that feels just like another facet of storytelling. And, you know, it kind of further is giving you context for how others are perceiving these things that the player themselves can't because, you know, you're being placed in these these different characters and their shoes and whatnot right out the gate. And it's like, you don't really have context unless the author tells you. So to have that instance where it's like, well, this is how people are reacting to that. I thought was an interesting way to, you know, provide exposition without, you know, having to read a paragraph that says people didn't like that when that character did this or that. And I thought that it was just an interesting kind of building upon a mechanic or a storytelling technique that is fairly common with these types of experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose just sort of before we finish off on this one, I think the look of the story where it goes to this place of, you know, an actor's method methodology, you know, like we hear that we'll talk about method actors and worse than what they, what do they put into their performance <laughs> like that? And, right. you know, I like the idea that in this case, you know, the, this guy is, um, or girl, depending on how you play it, is basically tortured by a literal ghost and their appearance around them. And that kind of funnels into how they perform and what they can handle because, yeah, it all works out that way. So, yeah, I love that about it. Um, I would also like to just point out the music you recommended for sort of playing this along with, which, again, goes such a long way to helping sort of get you in the headspace for these things, which was um, on the Cryo Chambers channel, was it? it was Dark Ambient Melodies uh, compiled by In Quantum. That was it. That was, it. That, that was the... Uh, I'm sure Jay will put a link in the yeah. uh, in the show notes just to uh, add that note, and then we'll have that. Um, and you know, while we're on this moment, I would like to sort of mention the book I mentioned earlier, uh, The Waiting Room by T.M. Wright, Um definitely worth it it's um really kind of nails the same idea of like this ghosts and the way they sort of haunt someone 
almost like as an infection, you know, as a as a like that. I like that idea. So yeah, that if you can find a copy of that book, and I think it has a, a second a Manhattan ghost story was the uh, other part of that story. Yeah, they they are interesting books to to pick up, and I always try and recommend them whenever I get the chance. So this was a perfect chance. <laughs> I'm adding it to my uh, my reading backlog, which is almost as long as my movie and game backlog. But <laughs> I have to, you know, the ambient music stuff when I'm playing these games, it's not that, you know, I hope that the developers don't mind that we give those recommendations. I always just have ambient music on. I think I've mentioned it or went on a tirade last week. But it's <laughs> like if I'm going to sit there and read something, like I have to have something playing in the background like yeah. that because otherwise my tinnitus drives me insane. So it's more of a more of a byproduct for me, <laughs> not losing my mind while I'm playing this. But yeah, uh, no, yeah was... I'm glad that I'm glad that it pairs well with uh, with the experience. Yeah, definitely did. Okay, so we are on to the next thing, aren't we? Which is your pick. Yeah, my pick is Go Fly a Kite, which is available on Itchio, and I'm prom. I'm Apologize in advance. I'm going to probably butcher the uh, developer name, but it is by Digital to to Chotkis, and I will, of course, have a link for that uh, in the show notes. I apologize. This will take you about ten minutes to complete, um, and this was one of those games that you know, as most of them are picked, it was kind of like just on site. I saw the. The little uh, the little JPEG that was on Itchio, and I was like, "Oh, that looks kind of strange. Is this going to just be about me flying a kite in a weird, fucked up horror <laughs> world?" And it ended up being one of the highlights of the month, I think, and probably one of my favorite picks so far for horror bites. Um, and so, go fly a kite is has the player being you know dropped into this surreal claymation world that just so happens to be on the cusp of an impending. Uh, apocalypse and uh, to make matters worse the player has woken up with a fatal growth on their head uh, and so why not go fly a kite uh, basically it is a series of increasingly bizarre bordering on absurdist conversations with people who are preparing in increasingly bizarre ways for the end of the world um, I think that what I was taken back by and what really was taken with I think right out the gate was, is that the game opens with a message board, essentially, of people talking about the apocalypse coming about, right? And so not only is that serving as exposition, but it so perfectly captures, you know, forum culture in a way where it's like people yeah. are having a conversation <laughs> about something and you're getting, you know, what seems like the facts up front. And then you have other people kind of chiming in with, fucked up or weird interpretations of something <laughs> with no real basis. And then at the same time, you have like mods interjecting with, if you're not going to keep this on topic of apocalypse without speculating that I'm going to close the forum. <laughs> and then basically like somebody will come back and make a dad joke at the mod. And then their dad joke is followed up in parentheses with like, Oh, well this person has been banned for yeah. being abusive <laughs> or something like that. Like right out the gate, so perfectly encapsulating, you know, that late 90s, early 2000s forum culture, which I'm not on forum as much anymore, but I can't imagine it's changed all that much. No. <laughs> um, it was the type of thing that, you know, instant. I'm somebody that I'm pretty much instantly won over when you have a sense of humor that I'm able to relate to in some regard, whether I was participating or I have seen firsthand type of thing. 
And then tying that into what is essentially like a 10 or 15 minute, you know, dark comedy, hilariously bleak journey that becomes further stranger and stranger, but ends up being, you know, melancholic, but kind of like having this very succinct tone behind it yeah in a way you know for as ridiculous as the conversations and the world itself is like the intention behind this pro this experience i thought was so well conceived that it's the type of thing that you know whenever you experience something that kind of like the joke is is that it is being weird mm. it's kind of like yeah i can appreciate that on some level but i'm not going to spend a lot of time thinking about it afterwards with something like Go Fly a Kite, right? It is has social commentary. It kind of has this gloom and doom look on life, but at the same time finding this like melancholic beauty, whether it mm. be through the simple things in life or kind of just like the approach to somebody finding solace in a bad situation. Um, and, you know, I have to say that there's... I didn't know anything about it going into it. And there's an instance when you're in your apartment basically, and you walk over to the mirror and you see in your reflection and you're this like claymation monster, basically like that was one of those moments where I was yeah. just like, what the fuck? Like out loud, what the fuck is this? Like did not have any real grasp on what the game was going to be dabbling in. Nah. And, you know, I was surprised by, I think the depth that, was given to each of the interactions that your character has, right? It captures a lot of the sort of the mundane nature of life, right? I think each of the conversations is broken up with you go to your apartment, you take a bus ride, which you're just kind of sitting there and watching these buildings pass by as you drive on the highway. And then you have one conversation with somebody and then it's back to the apartment bus ride conversation. And I think you do three of those before the, the end of the experience. And, you know, there's something in that, I think, again, in talking about the intention and kind of capturing the bleak journey that this character's having, you know, for as ridiculous as it is, at the same time, like, the ramifications of what they're going to deal with and, you know, the fact that this growth is going to kill them, at the face of it being the end of the world, is it that big of a deal, really? And seeing how, like, that shapes other people and how your character as the person that, you know, they don't necessarily know when the end of the world is coming, like your expiration date is going to be much sooner. Um, the fact that you're able to kind of like find a semblance of solace, I found to be just very refreshing in a way that uh, it was an interesting kind of just handling of death. And we'll get into more specifics about why I like it so much. But I'm curious, like, how did you get on with this? Because Admittedly, it is very, very strange. Yeah, so obviously I liked it um, <laughs> as a result. It fits very much that 2am weird experimental television stuff uh, aesthetic that I am mad for, as you know. Um, so yeah, going on what you said, it's very poignant you know, what it actually does with this situation. And there's this running theme throughout it that, Despite, you know, the catastrophe and disaster that is supposedly on the horizon, people are still focusing on little things that don't matter <laughs> rather than deal with the actual yeah. problem. You know, from right. the off with the forum stuff, you know, the mods, that straight away was like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. Because mods would just be like, 
I'm going to concentrate on this finicky little shitty thing that doesn't matter in the context of everything else. And it goes on, you know, with the protagonist and their ailment. You know, people don't listen to him like that. And you know, they're, they're basically going about their own problems, which is fucking trivial by comparison. <laughs> and that, that is just it throughout. It's people just saying, well, I'm all right. This is my problem. Well, I'm doing this, that. And it's just a very, the idea that when the world is in crisis, that everyone's just going to shrug their shoulders and say, eh, well, you know, I'm all right. I'm going to this thing I'm doing right now is more important than that put it to one side and sweep it under the carpet it'll go away maybe or we'll just act like it's going to be some big event they're all invited to you know hence why the protagonist is gutted with the idea that they're going to miss out on dying a day later or maybe or something (laughs) it's like like, um, so yeah and of course that's very topical really when you think about the last few years and how that's been you can't help but not think of that you know when you, you're talking about this game because it's there it's just the idea of we should be focusing on this or this or this but everyone's gonna be like yeah i mean think of the climate change thing really if you're gonna think of anything and the way people are like you know, and if for people at home, I'm shrugging my shoulders. And saying, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like that. People are like that, and then they'll go and fucking crazy the creators of Star Wars because somebody they didn't like is cast in a role, and that's it. Yeah, that's more important <laughs> right. than anything else in the fucking world. And they can put all this energy into that rather than give a shit about anything useful. And I know that's we're all guilty of such things. Yeah. You know, we all get annoyed and wound up by things that shouldn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, because it's a great distraction from not worrying about the fucking terrifying void of things out there, you know? And I think this game really captures that magnificently. And just the way it looks is just perfect for me. I, I just love that aesthetic from the claymation sort of stuff that's going on, you know, the building structure where they look like a child's idea of like, you know, high rise buildings that are just like, oh, we'll stick in a bit there, stick in a bit there. And yeah, I mean, it's just great. (laughs) That's the best way to put it. Yeah. I mean, again, like talking about the fact that it feels so timely in spite of the fact of how absurd the entire thing looks, Right. And I don't want to spoil the other conversations, but I think it's worth mentioning at least the initial conversation that your character has. Right. He goes to the doctor to deal with this growth on his head. And when you go to the doctor, it's a computer monitor with somebody on there. And it's like, well, wait, what what is this all about? And it's like, oh, yeah, the doctor has decided that he's going to upload his consciousness to uh, to survive the impending apocalypse. Right. And so your character basically says, like, well, is that an option for me? Can I do that? And he's like, well, of course not. You can't afford that. Uh, this is out of your price range. It most certainly would save you from a painful death, but you can't afford it. So it's not an option. And then, of course, that's followed up with the fact that the doctor says, well, because of the impending apocalypse and the fact that you're going to die, we have expedited the payment process for your for our services for you. So now you can pay us before we're all dead. Like, oh, yeah, with a 5% the, discount. Like yeah, with the 5% <laughs> discount. <laughs> but the fact that like a game, again, that looks like this and that is so strange is able to have this, 
you know, this very timely sort of take on capitalism and whatnot, and just kind of like actually having something to say and being a satire that has a lot of real world, you know, uh, power behind it, I think, or just relevance, like that's a rare thing, I think. And it takes, again, talking about the intent behind something, you can't really judge something based on how it looks, which I did a little bit, you know, right out the gate. I was like, well, this is very strange. I hope the gimmick is not just like, look how weird and fucked up this world is, which I can appreciate, but I probably wouldn't end up wanting to like talk about it for more than like 90 seconds if that were the case. But yeah. the fact that there is this really funny, genuinely funny writing <laughs> that also like there are visual gags in the game other than just, you know, again, there's this horrific claymation monster that has a growth out of its head or the fact that when you're riding the bus, it's basically real footage that somebody did with a camera, but they've pixelated it to the degree that it yeah. looks like oh, it's been God, I love animated. That. Which, <laughs> like, yeah, which <laughs> I, I can't get over how much I love stuff like that. It's just like, again, it's hard to describe exactly where it could be, but it has a nostalgic value to it that doesn't make sense because I, <laughs> where, where's the nostalgia? Um, but that and the static, sorry, just to sort of bring yeah. that, that mm-hmm. keeps coming up. Which again feels like a, a more visual representation of the idea, you know, like everything's getting drowned out because of whatever, and the static is just, you know, I can't concentrate on this anymore. The best bit of it, I don't, again, not wanting to spoil it too much, but when he's going for the cat scan, you know, like that, and it goes in there and it starts with a static and then it just keeps going and going and going. It's just like little trippy things like that. It reminded me a bit of, um, the game Paratopic, which is very short and segmented and goes in strange places. But, you know, obviously this is very much more humor-based. But, yeah, it's just grand stuff, all, you know, that just put together in such a great way. It lingers on things to an awkward extent. And, you know, that could be a real knockdown if done wrong, but it it feels right. For it you know it really does just send the next bit right for me where like you know it goes flips between places and people very quickly once it gets there but it makes you wait for it rather than just sort of quick flash off to the next bit like that um which yeah it, it's it's amazing that it manages to make that work yeah i think Forcing the player to be in moments an awkward length of time, like almost outstaying its welcome to a certain degree. Yeah. I think that, again, like talking about the fact that it really is putting the player in the shoes of somebody that, you know, is faced with the end of the impending end of the world. And then they ha- they're they given this basically a death sentence, right, mm. with their diagnosis and whatnot. Like, not that I've had to deal with that, knock on wood for those at home, but the idea that like you could feel like it almost replicates a certain amount of bliss, right? Where you're going to appreciate the small things or the mundane things in life when you know, essentially like what your, uh, what your expiration date is, right. That being kind of a crude way of putting it, right. Kind of just finding this, the, a joy or a solace in the simplicities of life to the degree of, you know, going to fly a kite and whatnot. Uh, I think that, Again, it's a such a well-rounded and well-intentioned product in the sense that like it actually does have something to say and the visual style that it has really does complement everything. Mm. I mean, again, talking about the fact of like 
a lot of the game relies on the this like TV static sort of look. And it's like initially you might be like, well, yeah, it's they maybe it's anim, uh, animation limitations and whatnot. But at the end of the day, like when you're talking about somebody that's grappling with a terminal illness, you know, would you really be fine tuned on details in life at that point yeah. when you've been given that expiration date? You know, again, me speculating on experiences that I've never had, but it just it seems too well put together of a product that any element, whether it be visually or narrative, is just an afterthought for laughs. Yeah. Like it that seems like too much of a coincidence because it's all complementing one another in uh in one way or another. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But for you, what was your uh, what was your final pick for the month? My final pick was me. <laughs> Trying to say it right, it's a French horror game, um, like in French and everything. Um, <laughs> again, not trying to condescend. So I was surprised that there was you know, like it was that was it. It was going to be like that. Like, okay, it's cool, which is fine by me. I know a bit of French, so it was fine. I could get on with that quite well. Um, yeah. Uh, no, yeah, I went to the wrong page straight away again. Got to look for the description. Remember that I had to translate that. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's basically uh, an academic project made in four months. Um, so, it's a short first-person horror set in eighteen ninety. A young woman named Alicia wakes up in a dismal building as she delves into this twisting maze. Increasingly terrifying events unfold. She has to confront her fear of aging in order to survive by exploring this environment. Uh, it means molt, by the way. So like shedding of skin, sloughing of skin. Um, so yes, the environment basically is a grotesque reflection of the course of her life. And yeah, it's basic. that's basically the uh, idea of it. So first things first to say about this game is it looks really good, you know. For, yeah. for the, I was very surprised by that. You know, um, the environment is very well put together. And it wasn't until, like, after reading the, the translated description that I was like, oh, yeah, no, there's a lot of this that makes a lot more sense now. You know, like that. Um, most of it's fairly simple and the, the button prompts are there and they give you good reference. And, you know, I was able to pick out the, most of the little French words that come up because, you know, seeing number four like that and oh yeah kind of i get the idea of that i get the idea of this um you know that it's this big mansion-y type place you know very reminiscent of you know all the big spooky mansions you see and things uh you're chased by this entity which is of course symbolic of like aging like that you have these little puzzles to do which you follow like a, a golden thread that goes through and there's like a mannequin that requires some sort of action for you to do yeah, it's just really atmospheric. The music is really bloody good as well. And yeah, it's short, sweet, but does the job nicely. You know, I don't think it goes out of the way uh, story-wise to do too much um, in terms of like verbally or anything. It is very much based on like what you see uh, rather than what you hear. And, you know, I think, Going back to after the sort of reading the translation, as I said, I had more appreciation for how the place changes, you know, representing different age things and things like that. That was quite smart. I like that about it. And, you know, for a small team project like that, grand. You know, I'd like, uh, again, we've had a couple of these like this where it's been like an academic project. And 
I'd love to see it sort of pushed into this full of fat thing. But really, yeah, this it's just so polished, you know, for a lot of the ways. I think it was a bit of a pain getting it to uh, initially start just because it was uh, the download experience was a bit odd. But once I did, grand, absolutely great. Ten minutes or so, I think it was in it all. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this one. How about you? Yeah, it is fully realized, I think, in its aesthetic and the sort of atmosphere and sort of just the period that it's evoking, right? I think mm. that it's a, a really, really fascinating mix of sort of like this Victorian era dark fantasy with what feels like heavy strokes of like French extremity almost in terms of yeah. like the brutality that you see at the hand of whatever this supernatural foe is that follows you around and whatnot. And you see sort of what they have done to people that they've come across periodically versus what could happen to you eventually if they catch you and whatnot. Um, you know, I did not translate it. So that's, uh, <laughs> you definitely had more context than I did, but I will say that that didn't, again, it didn't interfere with at least the environmental storytelling, if you will. Yeah. Um, like, not having all of the little bits of flavor text or lore maybe that go with interacting with specific environments, which for the most part is just picking up keys and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I think that even if you don't translate any of the text or anything like that, like the game still does such a good job of just evoking a elegantly hostile world yeah. um, and a fantastical one at that. Right. I mean, the first thing that you come across that is actually like genuinely terrifying is there's this bit of thread that leads on the floor. And when you follow that, it comes to what is a corpse that's done up in a mannequin, yeah. right? And you can see little sort of scars or little wounds on it. But at the end of the day, it is done up in this, you know, what I would assume is like French Victorian era uh, dress and whatnot. Mm. It's do it striking a pose, which is very like maniac-esque, I thought. Yeah, a little bit that. Little, yeah, a little bit reminded me, you know, very vaguely of um incident in a ghost land i think it was yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah that, that whole dull sort of aesthetic mm -hmm. to things yeah and that's a great point of reference that in that does not over rely on gore or brutality uh, no. there's definitely an instance of that later on right when you come <laughs> to the the foes workshop if you will you get to see sort of what they have done to the bodies of other women that it, they have come across i think though that like Early on, it being super disturbing and unnerving in just like being shown a corpse, but then having the contrast of it being a dead body, but then done up in this sort of like elegant fashion almost um, makes for a really re more uncomfortable than if it was just environment after environment kind of strewn with dismembered bodies and whatnot. I think also I liked that there is this sort of almost a nod to what I hope they explore more if they were to expand this into something like a darker version of Alice in Wonderland. Like at one point you come across a teapot and when you interact with the teapot, like it sprouts spider legs and it runs away or it scurries <laughs> away. And that was a little moment that caught me off guard, but also spoke to the idea that like everything in this world potentially has the capability to be this kind of like dark fantasy creature or something yeah. like that and how you don't really know what to expect from the world in that way i also thought it was interesting but it's not necessarily like used all that much is this breathing mechanic where when you look at something that disturbs your character all of a sudden like they become short of breath they the screen sort of begins to rock back and forth it's akin to like the fear mechanic from any of the yeah. um, any of the uh 
frictional stuff. Yeah, <laughs> frictional game. I almost called them insomniac. Yeah, the frictional <laughs> games um, where you basically just have to like simulate taking deep breaths with mm-hmm. the controller, which I really liked. And I saw that that could be a potential for a mechanic that could have some legs to it. But yeah. maybe this brief slice is not the best representation of that. But I think it's an interesting layer of a gameplay mechanic and to have a little more interactivity in something that I would say very heavily resembles like layers of fear, right? Yeah. It kind of has that layers of fear mechanic, uh, environmental traversal mechanic where you go into a room, you interact with something in the room, you turn around, you open the door and it's a new kind of environment and whatnot, how you can't trust the ever shifting geography of things, which I don't have a problem with. I think that it's fine. You know, it's obviously a cover for a lack of, you know, a bigger technical experience or maybe technical limitations in terms of design. But I think for this type of like ghost story, yeah, it's perfectly fine. Um, I will say the only element that I kind of had issue with was like a little AI jank. I had to restart twice just because the creature that you have to avoid in a brief stealth section yeah. got caught on environment two or three times when I played again, it, like you said, it's a 10 minute experience and overall, I mean, it's gorgeous to look at. So I wasn't going to like turn my nose up at having to re, <laughs> uh, re-explore this world. And granted it's 10 minutes. It's like not that yeah. big of an ask for me to, uh, to redo it. That's it. Um, yeah. So a bit more context on this, cause I just remembered I hadn't said who made it. Um, so basically it's made by the department of Cu- computer science and mathematics at, uh, UQ, UQAC, which is Quebec. Uh, so it's French Canadian rather than just French French. Um, and they are actually you know, a leader in training of video game programmers. So this is, you know, stars of tomorrow could have been working on such things, <laughs> which is, yeah, I, I like the idea of that. It's, um, they can make these, uh, they made a bunch of games as well. So it's not like, uh, this is the only thing I like that. You know, they're looking into the science and the maths of it all and really making all these different experiences. I mean, I was looking through the page before when they were doing, you know, it's very different genre stuff. There's sci-fi, there's more family stuff, more puzzly hmm. stuff. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, they've done a whole bunch of cool stuff. And, you know, I, I, I like the idea of a, that there is a place out there doing things like that, you know, and God, I'd love that growing up to have had it, you know, those sort of things. But then, eh, say la vie, as they say. But, uh, I suppose that takes us to the final pick of the month. Yeah, my final pick of the month is The Night of the Scissors, which is available on Itch.io and Steam. And it is $2.99 to purchase. And I will note that if you buy it on Itch.io, it does include a free Steam copy. This experience takes generally 30 to 40 minutes. And it's developed by, and I do apologize in advance once again, uh, it is developed by Thomas Esconyarigai. Highly apologize if I butchered your name, uh, but hopefully I can redeem myself with the praise I'm going to lay at the feet of the Knight of the Scissors, where two buddies uh, that, by their own admission, would rather be hitting their bong, uh, decide to break into a decrepit post office to steal stuff to basically scrap. Unfortunately, the post office just so happens to be the home of a killer known as the Snipper, who has taken up residence there, haunts the player as they look for a way out of the post office. Um, This game has a very, you know, 
that sort of typical VHS aesthetic with PSX graphics, uh, which is not a slight, right? It's sort of this aesthetic that we have come to be very, very familiar with, with a lot of these bite-sized experiences. But what I think separates the Knight of the Scissors from some of those other experiences and, you know, further justifies it having a price point instead of it being just a free experience is that it is an experience that so fundamentally understands the structure of classical survival horror games. You know, a lot of these types of experiences we see where they're echoing survival horror as of late and things of that nature, you know, they can be enjoyable, but at sometimes from a design standpoint, maybe it's more about the way they look rather than the way that they play. Mm -hmm. And with Night of the Scissors, it not only looks the part, but it plays the part I found. Um, It does a really, really great job, I think, of taking what on the surface would seem like this rather mundane environment, and yet it adds the lore and terror that goes into the antagonist of the, the game and whatnot, and really makes it feel as if this is a wholly unique killer and that killer's personality comes through and not only their weapon of choice being scissors, but just in the sort of little newspaper clippings that you find throughout the post office that kind of detail their grisly crimes and how, you know, it feels very sort of puppet combo esque in that nature, right? In Mm. terms of it establishing a killer, having the killer's identity be tied to a specific weapon, but also, you know, capturing the bygone age of a lot of those, you know, PlayStation era survival horror games. But from just every conceivable angle, it seems it's able to modernize it while not removing itself too much from that aesthetic and that gameplay. Like, you know, for the way that it looks, it utilizes dynamic camera angles in a way that I think is more refined than you would find in something like, you know, a Silent Hill or a Resident Evil, whatnot. Um, so it has that going for it. And also, I would say, you know, just the layering of puzzles and the way in which you're able to, you know, explore the environment, find this little piece of a puzzle, kind of solving that. And then it keeps kind of moving through in this really succinct manner that it makes for probably the fastest 30 or 40 minutes I've spent with one of these in a long time. Like it felt more like 10 minutes. And that's not to say like it's not worth the value, but I think that it's an experience that is so well constructed that there really is no downtime a lot of the time. Um, before I delve too much more into it, I want to hear how you got on with uh, The Night of the Scissors because I have a lot to say and I won't shut up if I don't bring you <laughs> yeah, in. That's fine. Um, yeah, I think it's a cool premise, you know, as you said, to making this sort of dingy, mundane thing, you know, evokes memories of condemned when you think about it you know there's a lot of condemned in in this uh in spirit um that i quite liked um does really well with sort of ratcheting up tension you know like uh the sound you know design in terms of when the snipper is near and mm-hmm. the way the snipper just appears out of nowhere in that very matter of fact way not jump scary way but sort of you know like you see it coming for like a couple of seconds and then like, oh shit, sort of thing. That, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, go on. Yeah, I was going to say like, that is such a huge part of what I think. Again, it speaks to somebody knowing how to design scares within that framework yeah. because it's not just the killer jumps out of a room or something when you're near. It feels like he is this person that knows you're there, 
but he's doing his rounds and he's patrolling almost. Mm. And it doesn't feel like it is set to like a familiar pattern that you could kind of monitor. And you're like, oh, no. well, yeah, he's going to go in this room and then that, right? If you're in a general vicinity, you'll hear a door and then you just hear him walking somewhere, snipping the scissors, right? And I think that that is, again, kind of like what I was saying about door nine. It's more about hearing the killer or the monster and knowing they're there, but not immediately seeing them. And, you know, the sound design, I think, in that regard is, I mean, it's phenomenal, I think, in yeah. this, in that it has that attention to that not only is it like using the him opening and closing doors to kind of allow the player to begin to be like, okay, well, maybe he's down that way, but it's never too revealing. Mm. If anything, it's most revealing when the sound of the snippers, him snipping the scissors gets closer and closer, right? And I think that it's important that it's almost as if he's baiting the player. It's not only doing that when yeah. he sees the player, which is important because then otherwise it doesn't feel as, it feels like it is just more of like you had said, it's, more planned almost or it's yeah. just like well he sees you and you hear him so now you have to run whereas it's more of just a general warning and then it's up to the player to like regulate themselves a little bit more okay i'm gonna go hide like that's one of the things in this where there's no combat and i think it's better off for it so the player has to you know hide in lockers or something which is not like a new mechanic for these types of games no. but i think that it feeds into the idea that like the player is being hunted and you're defenseless, but you feel well equipped enough in the sense of like you can rely on the sound design to know yes. to to interact defensively almost like that is your best defense is to be aware of your surroundings at all times. Yeah, yeah, it does get that right. I'd say. Um, I think early on, my criticism of it would be that it feels like it's missing something where you don't quite feel like you have all the tools necessary to do the job you are doing and that comes from not quite understanding what the snipper will do and how it, a snipper works um, because you expect it to do certain things you're saying well why can't i do this or this to counter that you know and you as you discover in time it's like ah well listening is key to this so when i initially played this i said you know my son was with me and it was daytime so two things were really not helping the experience you know yeah, a kid sitting there chatting away about it uh, you know which you know i'm half deficit is so that makes it difficult to uh to <laughs> and you know sunlight sort of making the dark bit you know, from outside the, making the dark bits really too dark so i had to like get halfway through it and say no i have to come back to this later because there's no way that i'm getting the, the proper experience and yeah then solo later in a dark room much more in line with what was going on so i, I took a lot more away from it with that it, it really does require your attention to get the most out of it you know to be immersed in it. um you know does feel like one of those games that has the big disclaimer at the front saying wear fucking headphones and keep <laughs> right. go in a dark room to make the most of this sort of thing because yeah it, it really does help help that game massively i will say you know when you have that moment where the snipper does get you and you know you can't take more than a snip or two for him to kill you right yeah. it's kind of like again you need to pay attention to your surroundings you need to pay specific attention to like the sound design and whatnot otherwise it's basically an instant death um you get this great moment that 
you know, often we kind of will criticize some games that do this where you get this like blaring sound effect mm. where it runs right at you. But what takes that a step further is that the camera perspective then shifts to a first person perspective that's looking down and you can, yeah. you know, your screen goes red, but you can still see him and he's kind of jabbing you in the guts with these scissors. Hopefully they're not safety scissors, but <laughs> it's the type of thing that, you know, it picks when it's going to rely on something that could be perceived as a jump scare almost, or this yeah. kind of like the blaring sound effect and whatnot. But what I was really, you know, taken aback by, and it seems like it's almost, I don't know. I guess I'm putting a lot of emphasis on it because it alleviates some of my frustration with these types of games, which, you know, we mentioned with shark phobia, the idea that if you start to get caught in this loop of a part that's really difficult and you keep getting caught and keep dying, Mm. you know, you have to go back to the beginning or you have to go back a ways and then you kind of have to retrace your steps to that moment. You know, Knight of the Scissors does a fantastic job of, and it doesn't announce this until you start to realize if you've died a couple of times, there's one particular moments in a basement that I'm sure you encountered as well <laughs> that uh, died repeatedly, which I don't know if we necessarily need to spoil or not, but the whenever you die in the game, it takes you back to a checkpoint that I never found to be more than literally 30 to 60 seconds of backtracking, yeah. if that. But what's most important is that if you have died and you have done certain things, like you've picked up an item, you've interacted with something, at one point you have to like flick a switch, a power switch, if you die after you do those actions, the game registers them as still having occurred, but you still have to restart from a checkpoint, which when you get stuck on a part and you die four or five times, like those can, it's seemingly is inconsequential, but like it becomes a pain in the ass to have Mm. to make sure you hit each of those things leading up to the point that you died. And night of the night of the scissors kind of, undercuts that in the sense that it registers you've done those things and you just have to progress from that checkpoint Mm. without having to hit you know i have to go do a b and c before getting to that part which again sounds like a little thing but when you get stuck on a moment like i found it to be great in the sense that i don't have to you know go back and make sure oh don't miss that don't miss this whether or not it is tied into you know the progression of the game or just, you know, trying to get an achievement for reading all these letters or notes and whatnot. Like that's a little thing that from a design standpoint, I really appreciate. And it shows a developer that is evolving on mechanics that are tried and true to the survival era as of late. And yet it feels like a modernizing of that. Like Mm -hmm. that would not be a feature that would be in again, a resident evil or a silent hill. You would have to go through, all those steps up until the point that you died. Yes. Yeah. I think we've been saying this pretty much since uh, Amnesia Rebirth, that finding ways to keep the player on a roll, you know, whilst Mm -hmm. making sure death is a thing and still important um, is a constant challenge. And it's nice to see that there are all these different ways coming out about it that, some more inventive than others, some taking, you know, a more practical route that may jar with the idea of the story you're telling, but still remembering, you know, at the heart of it, it's a game. You kind of have to find a way to let the player not just lose interest in what you're doing. And that's especially important with successful games 
in this sort of subgenre of like PS1 era horror, you know, and this is a developer that has worked on, you know, PS, you know, PS1 horror style stuff before in the lead up to this. So they obviously gained this great understanding and what does and doesn't work alongside other devs that have done the same. And yeah, that, that's, it's on show, you know, that, that they've learned lessons over the years and got this, uh, good little formula going for it that um yeah it doesn't take away from the tension and the terror just because everything's so fleeting when it does happen that you know you are yeah you don't really have a chance to be yeah you know, you're not being chased around you know you are basically if you're seen you're fucked in most cases <laughs> i think that's it it's, you're done for and i like that rather than just like oh chase me chase me for 10 minutes which can happen <laughs> um it's funny enough in a week we're talking about you you said about puppet combo you know on obviously it was this last week or so that on torture star that uh jordan king who we covered his game Bloodwash before um mm-hmm. released a game called the booty creek cheat freak which you know has a lot of similar ideas you know but in terms of like the structure but comes at it from a very different place and you know and also has you know the old there's a killer in this place trying to get you and also you must find the way out whilst avoiding them uh in there it's done it was a very weird juxtaposition going from this from going to this after that because in that it's like you know you can get away you can do that but it's not just about keeping your distance it's more about <laughs> you have to keep applying aerosol uh air freshener <laughs> to make sure they can't the, the, the cheek freak can't smell you your your <laughs> your uh your ass to to put it to, <laughs> i'm just like wow yeah. i still need to get around to playing yeah that. i had to give it a shout out this week you know it's like the honorable mention in terms of short games because it, it's it's definitely a absurd one but uh, i'm sure we'll cover that at another point (laughs) yeah you know the last thing i'll say about night of the scissors is that you know for it's a 30 to 40 minute experience the longer that people spend with it the more that they can get out of the lore or you know more info about the killer i'll just say that because it took me about 30 minutes to complete it the first time I went back and played it a second time and explored even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to, you know, uncover a little bit more of that lore and whatnot. So, you know, you and there's multiple achievements and there, I hesitate to say there's more than one ending. But I will say the longer you spend exploring and searching for everything, especially, yeah. you know, some of the more of the news clippings and things of that nature, um, you'll get a little bit more out of it from a storytelling uh, side of things. But yeah, that was uh, that was definitely one of the highlights of the month for me. And uh and furthermore, I think that serves as, granted, it's one of the horror bites that we've picked that, you know, you have to pay for. But I think it further reinforces the fact that, you know, even if these experiences are free and, you know, start every episode like this, but it's worth uh, repeating, like, whether or not it's a free experience or not, like, there are options for supporting these developers, whether it be through their itch.io, their Steam or their Patreon pages. And yeah, you know, I think that's, that's the uh, the drum we will continue to beat with the horror bite segment. In that, you know, yeah. these have been some of the most varied horror experiences that I've had probably in my life. You know, within the last 
couple of months of doing this, and it, every month it is a uh, a highlight to get to get bring together this band of uh, horror and horror adjacent experiences to chat with you, Neil. Yeah, and you know, considering the glut of things we're going to have to be talking about soon uh, uh, <laughs> in terms of announcement season, it's uh, right. yeah, nice to take that quiet step back into you know, a more exciting underseen world of things and and uh before we undoubtedly you know next week also talk about uh, <laughs> everything <laughs> right well as always it is a uh, pleasure chatting horror with you for safe room yes and we shall reunite next week to talk about all the new stuff thank you for listening to another episode of safe room if you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.